Production. Recorded live. Hey, Brian, you there? Ta-da, he did it. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> I just hope it works. If it don't work this way, I don't know how we'll do it, because I'm doing it from the house phone. Okay, well, you sound good. You sound better than I do. And damn it, okay. Jim, quit calling me Brian, or I'm going to start calling you Jim. I said bro. <laughs> what? Brian. <laughs> You're getting harder hearing in your old age. Uh, no, people, are, people are giving me shit lately and just doing that on purpose, because they know it pisses me off. So I'm glad you're not doing it. No, I call you bro or hoss. I don't never call you nothing else. Thank you. Remember, I'm from the South. We don't use names. We use acronyms. Yeah. Also, I'm <laughs> trying to get a, I'm not even from the South, and everybody's been calling me my nickname for 30 years. It's yep. weird that people like my actual name. I'm like, who the hell are they talking to? Like, if yep. I'm in a crowd and I'm walking along and somebody yells, hey, Brian, I won't stop and turn. I'm not used I to hear you. Like well, I don't even respond to Jimmy anymore. Yeah, they don't. See, they good. ain't asking for bear. I don't hardly even. It don't even dawn on me. <laughs> yeah, same thing with me. I'll be. I've had friends do that before. They yelled my real name four or five times, and I didn't respond. And then they go, "Hey, dude," and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> I hear you, man. But I literally didn't hear them yelling my name. But when they said Duke, it's like, "Oh, okay, it's got to be me," because there's not a lot of Dukes. Well, I'm kind of snuffly, but I believe we'll do the show they turn uh, allergies kicking my butt. Oh, you guys have got that happening down there, too. Yeah, yes, we have sir, a couple 60, degree, now. Couple 60 degree days in a row now, and we got the bugs out, and we're probably going to have to mow the lawn here in another two days if the speed is growing, so kind of the same shit breaking out here. <laughs> we just have that pollen and shit, and it'll tear you to pieces. You know, it's getting me this year is all the people that are in between where you and I are, where it's still fucking winter. Yeah, like, they get well, snow Wait a minute, stuff. I'm way the hell north of you guys, and, and it's spring here. What the hell's going on over there? Well, see, I drove two and a half hours north Thursday to scout out a site. We're going to hold an outing at in two weeks. And uh, it, the leaves up there hadn't changed like they have down here. Now, the mm-hmm. dogwoods were blooming, but the leaves hadn't busted out like they have this far south, you know. Yeah. Well, we got a little bit of the uh, plants around here starting to bloom and act like they're going to put leaves up, but mostly we just got the grass growing like crazy, and it's all oh, green. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I cut my lawn twice. I, I cut it Wednesday, and that was the second time. So, you know, got to get back in that habit that yeah. time of year. Let's do yeah, the show easy. so I can, yeah, let's do the show 
because I had to work today, and I'm kind of tired, oh. so we'll, tired. we'll do the show. All right, well, give me a couple seconds to have a few drags off my cig here, and I go back in the house, and we'll get her started. You got it, brother. What happened with uh, with Matt? I thought he was going to join us. I was looking forward to having a second outlaw on this time. Hang on. I'm, I'm trying to remember what he told me. It wasn't nothing major. He called and he said he couldn't do the show tonight. And I said, well, look, man, you ain't got to do it anyway. I'll just go ahead and do the show. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I knew that next week it's going to be pretty busy for me at work. So if it wasn't tonight, it would probably be a while before we could do it. And I'm tired of, you know, not putting you off, but, you know, everything's happened (laughs) the way it has up to this point. I'll you make what it is here in a minute. Well, whatever. I'm just kind of sad that it turned out that way because it would have been fun to have Matt on the show because he's never been uh, on the show and it would have been even more fun. If he has something to add to the discussion, <laughs> it would have been great to have him chime in too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell, it bugs me. I can't remember. It was so insignificant. It was just unbelievable, but it was it made sense. I just can't yeah. remember what it was. Now crap comes up, crap comes up. Yep, uh, shit happens. <laughs> yeah, let him know I wish he could have been with and been on the show. I will, like I will. I, I'll, I'll talk to him. I told him I would. All right. Oh, certainly, my man. Yeah, so you want to debunk the LaFleur massacre, huh? Yeah, it's time to put the load of it ain't into really the ground. really a debunking if you think about it, but we'll talk about it on the show. Well, I think I think I think Tucklow wrote the story and it took a life of its own. Yeah, and more and more details get keep getting added to it as if they were historical and accurate to the point where everybody yeah, wants to believe want it now. People want it to be the truth, you know. Just, yeah. Just, I mean, it's well, I know really what we're story. doing. Really, what we're going to do is reboot the whole thing. But the uh, I think what I'm going to title this one is Lafleur Massacre Examined. And then by the end of it, they'll have it figured out. I got you. But, you know, three years' time, it won't make no difference anyway. There'll be a whole new cycle of folks come in and be another dummy that'll see it. And Hey, have y'all yeah, seen Yeah, but then this? I'll have this show, and I can just link it right there and stop the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already you. doing that with other things that are going on there. I have a reason for wanting to do this show. I like, okay, you. let's stop this. Plus, it's a way. The actual story is way better anyway. So, yep. I just yep. wish we had more, more specific details. But we can roll that out. I mean, he he flavored it out. He put names and all that on there, and I don't even think the arrow was correct. You know, for mm-hmm. what he was portraying it to be. Uh, I think it was a more adventurous, her- more heroic story from the cow. You know. Especially attacking, going to war with this thing before they even had firearms. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And from and from everything I've gathered, they actually did. They wiped out that particular tribe of Bigfoot. You know. So. Yeah. Well, there's but one. You can just uh, I was just looking through it this afternoon. Damage, you know, you can yeah. just imagine the collateral damage from that kind of a because you know they. They never actually tell how many Bigfoot or whatever they called it, you know, they uh, killed. But 
Yeah, when it comes to massacres, I was surprised that we managed to get an accurate number on how many Sioux got massacred and the conflict between them and the Crow that they got stopped. <laughs> well, you know, we never know. <laughs> never figured we never figured we were going to get a specific number on that one, but we did because nope. the Sioux knew it. Yep. Yep. 250 went in, 11 came back. There's your specific number. Lord. <laughs> Bad fucking news. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Well, let me get her started then. All right. Let's rock and roll. All right. Three, two, one. Howdy, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of World Bigfoot Radio. And this episode, we have somebody that's been on the show before. And rather than just talk about experiences that uh, that we've had, we're going to talk about a story, a really gripping Bigfoot story. And some of you have probably heard this story before. Before I bring on the guest, as a matter of fact, I'm going to give you guys the short version of the story. And I'm going to bring my guest on, and uh, he he's going to tell me what's wrong with this story. So now this story is set back in the in the middle of, uh, another century past the 1800s, and specifically, it's credited to have happened in 1855 on the eastern side of Oklahoma to a gentleman named Captain Joshua Lafleur, who is supposedly a cavalry officer, and he had teamed up with a, a band of the local Choctaw Indians, specifically with one family called the Tubbies, T-U-B-D-E-E, were having problems with uh, all of their farms being raided and uh, their produce being made off with, and apparently lots of uh, large quantities of corn, squash, beans, and local children were being taken. And so this not being a situation that they were willing to put up with, they, they got the aid of this cavalry officer and with a band of 30 men, including the Tubbies, they went into what would later become the Curtin County Wilderness Area to uh, find out what was going on. Now, according to the story, the locals already knew it was Bigfoot that were doing this. There was a band of local Bigfoot that were doing all this raiding. So they apparently spent quite a while on the trail, and after 4.30 in the afternoon, Captain Josh spotted their quarry at, according to the story, about 500 yards, with the aid of a ship's eyepiece, whereupon they charged on horseback. Now, the 30 or so that charged on horseback, the horses, when they got close, became unruly because of the smell of the Bigfoots and whatnot, and started to panic and wouldn't go forward anymore. Uh, but Captain Lafleur's horse and the horses of seven of the others, the Tubby Boys, um, were apparently better steeds, and they managed to maintain control of them. And uh, so they left the other guys behind as their horses uh, raced forward. Now, the captain supposedly was way out in front of all of them, and when he got within range, he drew his pistol and cavalry saber. Um, so, wow, that's quite a feat. You're on a charging horse, and you got both hands full. And uh, then the nearest uh, Bigfoot, when he came up on him, swatted the captain's horse and killed it dead with one swat. Now, somehow managing to not do a face plant and somehow rolling with both of his hands full, he comes to his feet, empties his pistol into the monster's chest, firing every shot. Then he manages to amazingly strike this strangely immobile and slow Bigfoot several times with his saber, opening up huge blood-spilling gaping wounds in it. Uh, all, while this is happening, nobody's really doing anything else except for finally they realize something's going on apparently, and they all pull their rifles out, and uh, the seven remaining guys take shots at the three Bigfoot, six of them firing their rounds into the two that were uh, killing the captain. Uh, 
One of them had gotten around behind the captain after he did all this damage to the one in front of him and apparently tore the captain's head off. And it was at this point that they finally fired on him and they killed those two Bigfoot and the seventh guy put one round through the remaining third Bigfoot's head um, whereupon they um, checked the scene of all this carnage and they found out that there was these 19 missing children partially eaten and left in a huge pile and um, so they buried all the children, and they put the Bigfoot bodies into a mound and burned them up. And so um, now it's time to bring on our guest. Hey, what's wrong with this story? <laughs> oh. It was written by a gentleman from Oklahoma named uh, Cliff Sewell, but he also goes by the name Tuklo Neshoba. And he happens to be Choctaw. I don't know if he's full-blooded, but he, you know, he claims lineage to Choctaw. And uh, Cliff also writes children's stories and books. I've never heard it said that this story was true or not, but it, it's such a fantastic story, Brian, that it's taken on a life all on its own. And uh, it is a fictional account, and a lot of people are just under the misperception that this is a true story. It's really not a true story. Oh, dude, this is like one of the coolest Bigfoot stories ever. It's it's juicy and violent, and Bigfoot's a terrible monster, and there's a heroic cavalry captain that for some reason has to save the Indians like they couldn't do it themselves. <clears throat> You're telling me that this isn't true? Is there any grain of truth to this story? Well, that that's the deal, uh, brother. They there is a grain of tr- a grain of truth to it, but it did not involve the Choctaw Nation, and it also did not involve firearms. Uh, there is a story told to me by a good friend of mine, who is Kiowa, when I stayed out there at Dan and Vicky's. Uh, in southwest Oklahoma, that there is a particular location where the Kiowa, which, there, you know, one of the translations for the word means the people, uh, the people went to war with Bigfoot, and they actually found their lair on an outcropping of rock out there somewhere, uh, kind of a hill, and on top of the hill is some rocks and things like this. And this is supposedly where the Kiowa Nation went to war with a tribe of Bigfoot and eliminated them. Uh, you got to also understand the Kiowa did not have a, their own written language from this era and time but they would pass the stories down to each generation as they come up. And so through the passing of time and these stories is where this gentleman told me of the Kiowa people going to war with Bigfoot. So was there, before we go into the Kiowa story, was there any, um, did you find any actual evidence for the, for the Choctaw story that, uh, Well, listen to the story itself. It talks about this Choctaw chief or leader whose horse 
advance further than the others. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm looking at the date. Like half Choctaw and half French. So, yeah. Well, I'm looking at the date, 1855, and yet he supposedly popped off uh, six rounds into the chest of this thing before he applied the saber. Mm-hmm. And I know that they was black powder pistols back then, but normally up until the Spanish, uh, the Mexican War, uh, before the War of Northern Aggression, most pistols were single-shot flintlock-type pistols in 1855. I'm not saying that, you know, it's not possible, but... Uh, He's in the cavalry, he's in the military, they got the top of the line news. Well, you know, so you talk of the military, which I do understand that the Choctaw also have their own police force or uh, militia type group, and uh, they would patrol together and cope together whenever they needed to uh, deal with any trouble-like situations, especially trouble that needed larger numbers. And right. uh, I just, you know, I, I I think that the author, being Choctaw, may have heard a version of the Kiowa story because out there in that part of uh, southwestern and south-central Oklahoma, <clears throat> various tribes do uh, live together out there. Uh, not on top of each other, but they they hear each other's uh, of each other's culture, their history, and their folklore. And uh, I'm thinking that's where the concept for the story come from. I, I believe he just turned the First Nation people, which were the Kiowas tribe, into a Choctaw tribe, of which, as I'm, far as I know, he's a member of. Which is the well, Choctaw that, Nation? Yeah, I know that you also know members of the Choctaw tribe, and have any of them come forward and said that this is one of their traditional stories? I've never heard any Choctaw speak of this as being a true story. Actually, I'm thinking what it is more than anything is you know it's kind of like when the legend precedes the truth. Keep repeating the legend and. You know, like I know, uh, me and you have discussed this several times in the past. Uh, This story is exciting. It's got blood. It's got guts. It's got excitement. It's got horses. It's got monsters. And uh, they're going to battle over uh, children being kidnapped or taken. And, uh, I mean... it would make a great movie, not yeah. Oscar worthy, but maybe you know a B class where instant to a, a video or something or cable. But I just you know a big budget B movie, you know right. at least like on the scale of Abominable or something. It would right, right. The 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 Kawa story, the one I've been told though, is very interesting in and of itself. And, uh, well, let's hear the, the Kiowa version now, because this is an oral legend of theirs that you have been able to actually verify that they've been passed. Right, right, right. And uh, it's quite a bit different, and it's not just one skirmish, so go ahead. Right. <clears throat> of course, the Kiowa were, were a very nomadic-type tribe, and they would move around. 
This was mainly to keep fresh grass or forage for the horses. And, you know, anytime you'd have a your typical uh, camp-like setting after any certain length of time from staying in one location, you know, due to sanitary purposes like, you know, bathroom usage and things like this, you had to occasionally, you know, move your whole encampment and move elsewhere. They were That's what I mean by them being nomadic. And uh, every time they would move their camp, they would also uh, have what they would call a certain lodge set aside for women who would reach sexual maturity and go through their monthly menstrual cycle. When a woman was in the early stages of going through her monthly, if a warrior touched her, looked upon her, anything like that, it was known within the tribe that this took away his warrior uh, inner spirit, uh, that she was unclean and that any warrior that, even if they accidentally touched her, I'm talking about their mother or their sister or whatever, especially their wife, when these women would go into this, it was usually, what, seven to ten day period, they would all have to go to this hut or lodge on the outer fringes of the encampment. Well, the ones who would take care of these women since it could not be men, uh, you know, for sure, they would get these older ladies who had lost their husbands in battle or they didn't have no family or whatever. They would be the keepers of this lodge. And, you know, it would constantly be young maidens or women going through their monthlies that would come in and out of that lodge during this time that they was considered unclean. Well, that's why I mentioned what I did about the odor earlier of encampments. It got to the point after a while, the odor was so prevalent, a lot of times they was assuming this was what was attracting the neighboring or the Bigfoot that were in the general vicinity. And these things would break into the back of the lodge and snatch up a young maiden or two on occasions. Well, when this would occur, since no warriors were involved in, you know, the perimeter or the general immediate vicinity of where this lodge was located at, this thing would be successful in uh, snatching one of these maidens and running off into the wilderness with them and then never see them again. It got to the such an extreme that the elders had to come together with various other sects or tribes of the Kiowa Nation and they decided that they had to go to war or to exterminate these creatures that were doing this. And getting back to the LaFleur story this was way before the Kiowa Nation had any firearms at all. Basically, what they were using were bow and arrow, spear, lance, uh, 
maybe a Tommy Hawk or and knives. <clears throat> but they went to war. They had various scouts go out and locate the sign, and they had been successful in trailing it back to this certain hill. And supposedly the hill is still out there in Oklahoma, but I I even asked the person that was telling me the story, uh, is it near where we was at? Which he said, no, it's north of here. And I was in southwest Oklahoma at the time. But he never would reveal where this actual uh, location, where the cow was supposedly uh, exterminated a whole uh, family unit of Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like they not only went after the ones that they knew were responsible for what at the moment was teeing them off, but they sort of went wider and went, well, we're just going to get all of them out of our area. Well, you know, let's look at Bigfoot as how we know him anyway. They may have assumed it was one, may even be two, but then when they get to where they're at and they're confronted with the actual numbers that are there, I can just imagine, you know, not only the sheer uh, terror, <coughs> excuse me, uh, <coughs> told you, uh, allergies, allergies have kicked my butt this week. Uh, yeah. They, just looking on something like this, I mean, even back in those days, I don't think that Bigfoot was easy to see or anything like he is today. I mean, this just is something that, innately has been driven in its life as far back as I've ever heard of, you know. There may have been one time way back, way further back, where First Nation people and Bigfoot got along together. But for I, I honestly believe, Brian, that uh, even, before Brian, the European, yeah. even before the Europeans come to this continent... I think that the First Nation people and Bigfoot, most of the tribes anyway, were at an uneasy peace with each other. Not so much at war, but for some reason I think Bigfoot decided a long time ago not to trust people of a human-type nature long before the Europeans even got here. I, I just get that perception at times. Yeah, but yet him and Neanderthal still like to abduct and defile our women. Go figure. Well, you know, I read something interestingly enough just just this week on something that was pertaining to that, and they said, you know, if human DNA is in the blood, and I, I really believe it is, I really believe it is, that means that at some stage in time there was interbreeding here, whether it was mm-hmm. willingly or unwillingly. But mm-hmm. maybe that could be just enough extent to keep Bigfoot interested enough or wary of us at times more so than others. Yeah. You know, human nature tends to draw people to each other. And I wonder at times, I mean, everything we know about Bigfoot 
it is smart enough to recognize not to trust man. And honestly, Brian, do you blame him? No. There, quit calling me Brian. Well, I know that. I need to call you Duke, but... Uh, Thank you. <laughs> Only my enemies call me Brian. Don't call me Brian. <coughs> Excuse me. Ooh, but... Hey, you sound that's, terrible. Okay. That's what I Keep think going. happened to the story, Duke. Uh, I, I just think if the legend is more exciting than the actual truth, print the legend, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, I think if they would have had more details on the actual legend and this one would have gotten around first, it, it, this one would have been the story. Because it wasn't just right. like one fight. I mean, they chased the whole damn, they chased all of them out of their territory, you know. And they're, uh, isn't that sort of like planes and they're semi-nomadic down there by virtue of its planes for the most part? Which means they could have had a big area that they had to chase them out of. Right. <coughs> I, I actually heard the Kiowa version before Tuklo wrote, well, maybe not wrote it, but posted it, or however he got the word out about the story originally. And I, to, you know, to be honest about it, I've never heard anybody declare that Cliff or Tuklo declared this as a true story. It, it, I just think a lot of times he allowed it to live a life of its own, you know. Right, like and, it was such I mean, a good story, why why kill it by telling everybody that it's not real? Right, right. And, you know, as I said to you, me and you talked about this a bunch of times, and you know it. Uh, mm-hmm. There's all, you know, the Bigfoot community runs in cycles anyway. And I guarantee you within two years, or maybe even sooner, you somebody else uh, read this story and hey, if y'all seen this man, if this is real, this is one of the most exciting stories I ever heard come out of you know the Bigfoot world. There was back in the day when I first got on the internet with this. It was in the two thousands. You could go and I think it was called the Okie Fanoki. Uh, UFO page or something. And they have a story in there now that went way back to the early 1800s in the Okefenokee Swamp where about eight or nine envisioned this. Daniel Boone or Davy Crockett type outdoorsman went after uh, tall monsters uh, in the Okefenokee Swamp. And supposedly they came upon these monsters, and it ended up killing something like all but two or three of the party survived. Uh, Several of the people had their heads ripped off during the actual physical confrontation. Now, you got to envision this in the early 1800s. They was using either Kentucky long rifles or, in other words, they had one shot, they had to stop. Mm -hmm. Stuff yep, they had pirate pistols and single-shot yeah, muzzle and smoothbore yeah, rifles. Now, see, that could be a hell of a story about Bigfoot, too, that would draw a lot of attention, you know, if somebody was to come up with something out of that. and uh, That's but, a longer story, too. That actually is supposed to be spread out over, like, two weeks. There was initially a kid and one of his friends that found this line of tracks. Right. Scared the hell out of them. They went back and told the townspeople, and the toughest guys muscled up and, hoo, hoo, we'll go monster hunting. 
and yeah. most of them didn't come back, but they did kill the monster. <laughs> right, right. And that happened in Florida or Georgia, you know, that's yep. where the... No, it was, uh, I know the area. It was northern Florida. It was right on the border of Florida and Georgia. It was, it was right and, in that area. And if you think of it that way, uh, and then you listen to the LaFleur account, which, you know, it's fictional, and uh, actually the Okefenokee's a story was more based in truth and the time era for what it was, you know. So, uh, but that LaFleur story, it has plenty of clues in it if you sit there and separate it out. And there's just no way a lot of that can be possible, you know. A lot of the equipment and a lot of the firearms and things like that wasn't around about that time, and I know there was black powder pistols because Texas Rangers used them, you know, yep. just right after uh, the Alamo and everything, but they were few and far and in between, and I, I just don't see that militia unit having any multiple firing firearms, and, and also knowing that the story I had heard came from the Kiowa tribe, I I I just I, I I see it as fiction. I, yeah. I I don't see it any other way. Well, at the time that the Kiowa would have been having a conflict with these guys, there wouldn't have been any white men or any you know any any boomsticks of any kind out there for them to be using. Nah, that's true. That's true. Uh, what it was, and it always just you know blew me away because it confirmed what I've already was told by other. First Nation people that these things do and have a history of kidnapping women, and that's to produce offspring with, and I've heard of this actually happen. So, you know, the smell is there, say, in in this um, hut. Any length of time that you're there, the smell's going to predominate, and that was the problem that the Cowboy tribe was having at that point in time. What I always, you know, I'm always a sick in the head anyway. <laughs> uh, I always envision the council coming together and deciding, look, man, we got to do something about this. Something's breaking in our uh, uh, medicine hut over here, and they're running off with all the women. So we're going to have to place a, a warrior to watch the women, but you can't watch the women because if you look upon a woman when she's in that condition, you'll lose your uh, warrior uh, status within the tribe. Yeah. Yeah, so could you just envision being this warrior, damned if you do, damned if you don't? Are you with me? Either they got to have a blind warrior or one with a blindfold on. Yeah, but he's got to be... Knessing enough to see these big hairy monster that's stealing all the women too. So you know, I, I mean, well, that's I, it. They're putting in an impossible position. They've either got to completely change the way that they do things, or they've got to get rid of the problem, which is big right. Thing. And that's what they decided to do. You know, and uh, it it was an amazing story when it was told to me by this Kawa and uh, it. All the time he was telling the story in and of itself, I could envision everything that was going on. And here we go back to the uh, 
Neshoba story, the you know the Lafleur County story about Choctaw tribe. It's basically the same way. Only I I know the author. I know he's a fictional author. I know he's interested in Bigfoot, and I've never heard him say that it was based on true facts. The only truth to it I know of, it's so similar to the story coming from the Kiowa Nation. That that's the only similarities similarities I can actually see. Mm-hmm. So now, did you get the details from the the Kiowa story? Did they just go after this one group of Bigfoot, or did they just say, "Well, that's from it. everything I'm oh, understanding"? They just uh, annihilated one family unit because it all happened on this certain hill or plateau out there. And uh, the the when he said it's north of here. That indicated to me that it was somewhere north of the I-40 corridor uh, west of Oklahoma City, somewhere out that way. That That's yeah. the general impression I'm getting anyway. Was, did, what, did they have any um, information on, you know, you would assume if they're stealing women for breeding purposes that there would be women there? Did they well, they, they, I'd heard, I mean, you know, Occasionally, one of these females would escape, and I think that even one of them escaped and who was pregnant, and she even had a stillborn childbirth with it, you know, half monster or however, you know. To her, it was probably her child. It's all a frame of mind. A lot of times, you know, when things like this occur, it takes a very strong female to uh, survive anything like this mentally, I can just imagine. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've heard even more recent stories, not within the last 50, 60 years, but back in the day, more so in the 50s and the 60s out there in uh, Oklahoma, and it probably occurred a lot more before then. Also, a lot of these uh, First Nation women would be abducted by these things, and then if they survived or escaped, they was placed in the mental institutions. And even if they was as sane as day is uh, light, you know, I'm thinking a lot of times if they was trying to tell somebody what actually happened to them, they was just declared mentally incapable so they was admitted to all these mental institutions and it it used to happen quite often from everything it happened so much duke that i was understood to believe that that's why a lot of the first nation tribes out there don't even want to even discuss this with anybody right when you talk about bigfoot you end up talking about oh bigfoot used to steal our women and molest them and well, you know, even even us discussing it right now, a lot of people out there snicker about it. But I don't, yeah. you know, I mean, I've I've heard of these stories from various First Nation people all over the North American continent. I mean, yep. you know, historically, it's in the a lot of accounts. I think J. W. Burns wasn't that the guy who wrote all those uh, accounts up there near about where you're at now, uh, mm-hmm. Duke. Yep. That missionary guy, I mean, he, he told of a couple of incidences where females who disappeared were abducted when, and were able to escape, and that one of the females...
females had a stillborn uh, birth of something that, you know, they declared was natural. Yeah. The uh, story of Seraphine Long is along those lines, too, where a younger Bigfoot kidnapped her and brought her to his cave with his uh, family, old Bigfoot. And uh, after about a year, she was getting really sick and convinced him, basically, bring me back to my tribe or I'm going to die. Right. And apparently, on the way there, he had, like, covered her eyes with, like, uh, pine sap or something. He had, like, glued her eyes shut so she couldn't see where she was going, and he did the same thing on the way back. Uh, but he brought, her, he brought her back and dropped her off again. And uh, her and who were the other kidnapped guys? Uh, well, of course, you had uh, Muchala Harry and uh, Albert Osman that both also claimed that up at the Toba Inlet they were kidnapped by families of Bigfoot. So even the guys got kidnapped occasionally probably just because they were interesting. But there's a lot of this with the women getting kidnapped and from all over North America. Another thing I can chime in here is that it seems like the further west you go, the more um, there wasn't as much conflict about it. They seemed to have better uh, communication with the Bigfoot and get along with them better. And, uh, it, and there's a couple tribes that I know of here in the Pac West area that used to have the custom that if a woman wanted to like go marry a Bigfoot or something, essentially that was okay. So it, it didn't. It wasn't like they were stealing the women from over there. Apparently, they had some kind of an arrangement with them. Well, you know. What's getting overlooked in all of this, everybody says, what in the hell is this thing? Well, if it can mate with a human and produce an offspring, what in the hell is it, uh, Duke? Well, it's got to be something me. really genetically close to us in order to be able to do that. But, again, is it actually producing an offspring? Or, right. is it, you know, I mean, they're mating with horses, too. <laughs>
unfortunately for Itnock, both her and her brother off the couch didn't get to grab either one. Well, so you know, right e- even the story from Anobi, the siege of Anobi, that was part of the, you know, the things that were leading up to the actual shooting was mm-hmm. this thing was looking in the younger girl's bedroom window. <coughs> Yeah, that's some creepy stuff. I mean, just uh, especially for parents, you know. Now you got to worry about not just the teenage boys, but uh, Bigfoot trying to grab your teenage girl, too. Well, you know, a lot of people, they don't think about it. They say, well, how in the hell they can sense that? Well, think about it. Outdoors, if you have indoor plumbing, you don't have your average sewage system. You've got what you call the septic tank. Every Mm -hmm. septic tank has to have an outward flow of water, even if it's way down the hill. And this outward flow of water, water every time you flush the toilet, is in the septic tank, and the scent or the odor will just naturally flow out of the pipe onto the ground. That's how it's so easy for these things to yeah. smell when a woman comes into season. And even if you don't have that, you've got feminine hygiene products in the trash can. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And the trash can goes out yep. to either be picked up or if you burn your own garbage or whatever, you know. It, I mean, the clues are all there. People just need to recognize them for what they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and unfortunately, I have heard a lot of accounts along these lines, too, and you wonder about some of these lone women hikers that disappear or something like this is what happened. Well, you know, that combined with an animal that's very opportunistic, you know, it it leaves yourself open for a lot of bad things to happen. Uh, These things watch us every day because we're their entertainment. (laughs) They recognize when something new is factored into the equation. They recognize that what that new thing is not acknowledged by others of us. They're, they're smart enough to figure out that this person is, as far as they can see while they're watching it, is by their self, and then they wait for the given opportunity, and that compiled with just what you referred to, uh, Duke, is makes your statement absolutely correct. The odds increase exponentially that that could be a possibility why that person's missing. Yeah, it's just frightening. And the other thing is that, you know, like I pointed out to a lot of people on, on different occasions on the show that, you know, some people think Bigfoot can't tell what a gun is. For God's sakes, even grizzly bears and mountain lions can figure that one out. So if some little lady's walking through the woods and she hasn't got some obvious you know, a pistol on her hip or a rifle on her shoulder, they know she doesn't have a gun. Even well, if it's knows not that. so much the... It's what's the odds of it, you know. I mean, I can see them goading each other on or looking at a potential prey or potential whatever, whatever they're thinking about at the time. <coughs> and, you know, determining all on their own because... You know, we always talk about how these things will test you at times by breaking a stick off to the side or 
a huff or do something walking in step with you and once it recognizes that it can see it's physically mentally screwing with the person's head that they're uh, focused on that makes them more brazen even if that person has a firearm they can sense when people like that go into the early stages of panic yeah Oh, this thing allergy is about to kill me. Hang on. Man, it got me in a sneeze that time. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) As far as that goes, from what we can tell, they've got a pretty damn acute sense of smell, and they may be able to even smell, like, the difference in your uh, your sweat when you've got more adrenaline in it. There's no doubt about it. I've done seen it happen too many times. I've watched people that's gone with us and we're put into a situation where we actually encounter one that one seen. I mean the incident where a rowdy uh just panicked and he run between me and uh Matt Knapp that time down there at uh Lake of the Pines in Texas. That rascal was focused totally on rowdy hauling ass. Then it become prey versus predator. I'm not saying that he was going to grab Rowdy and break him in two or drag him home for supper. I just think at times they get caught up in the act to the degree they can't help themselves. You know, it's like, hey, let's play tag. That sucker's running like hell from me, so I'm going to go tag his ass, you know? Yeah. Or it's your reflex action. That happens quite a bit with, uh, with some of the big predators they talk about, like bears and mountain lions. That's why you don't run away from them, because even if they weren't thinking about attacking you, that'll trigger a chase response from them. Well, you know, when that thing was heading straight to me and Matt, even when it was coming towards us, I could tell it was still focused on Rowdy, who had run between us. You know? (laughs) See, that's what I'm saying. It it was like to the – and, you know – if it hadn't been for the fact that Sam Armstrong had bought me a spotlight, you know, for picking him up in Memphis and taking him all the way out there to Texas, that was the only reason I had that darn spotlight in my hand. But I said, oh, hell, if I don't do something, this son of a bitch going to knock me and Matt down because, I mean, we was fairly close together, and he was coming dead at us at a run. And I just threw that spotlight up and hit it on and hit him in the eyes. Well, when I did, it was like I'd hit him with a pole axe. I mean, he (laughs) hit the ground immediately. He threw his dang right arm up across of his eyes, and it started screaming because what had happened, you know, his eyes were already fully extended as open as they could for the ambient light, you know, in their version of night vision. And then I hit him in square in the face at about 20 yards with that uh, darn spotlight, and it just burned him pretty good, and he hit the ground like he was pole-axed. And, you know, that's when I told Matt to get over there and get in the truck, and Matt couldn't get in the truck because Rowdy done jumped in there and locked all the damn doors. And we was all standing there with a pissed-off booger rolling down on the ground, raising 10 times worth of hell because he couldn't see. And as soon as he could see, you guys are going to be in a lot of trouble. 
I was hoping he'd have that white spot. You know how you're always blinded by... I was hoping his eyes were burned enough that he'd stumble through the woods in the opposite direction instead of messing with us again. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Hope for the best. But then Hope Matt turned out you finally got Matt, out of there. Matt finally cons him into unlocking the door. <laughs> Matt jumps in the truck, and he puts his key in the ignition, and he forgot that when, you know, he goes to cranking up the truck, he's going to lock the doors again. Well, there's oh, me and oh. yeah, there's me and Sam still standing outside the truck. Matt done cranked the son of a bitch up, and I heard the locks when they locked. And I said, this son of a bitch is going to leave us. And uh, I looked over there at Sam, and Sam still had his spotlight, but he also had, I think he had a 9 millimeter in his hand. And he, that poor old hand was a shaking. Uh, he said, "I got him, Bell. I got him." I said, "Well, I hope like hell you do, because Matt done locked us out." And then you could hear me and uh, Sam was we was hitting his dang, you know, as one of them pull ups handles. We'd pull mm-hmm. that saw bitch up, and it wouldn't open. It was going floppity, 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 floppity. I mean. <laughs> If they had been a film crew filming us that night, that would have been funny as hell. Everybody in the world did not make Yeah. Yeah, what happens when a Bigfoot comes charging at you in the dark? <laughs> uh, well, Matt realized that doors were locked, so he finally unlocked them, and we jumped in all days. We didn't go far, though. We just evaded the that general location to let the thing let the whole thing settle down a little bit because we called in Dan and Vicky and them. They was farther down the road, and we told them to come back there, and we'd all meet up right at that same spot. And uh, we had some good activity there the rest of the night. Uh, I don't think it was the one we scorched his eyes, though. He he wasn't no happy camper about it. That's for damn sure. <laughs> yeah, who knows what that would do to their eyes, actually. You might not have been able to see very well for a while. Well, you know, it may have been the thing that saved us, but uh, he 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 was after Rowdy, but to get to Rowdy, he had to run right between me and Matt, and I, me and Matt, pretty big, big, big old boys, and that wouldn't have happened because he had hit us like two pinatas, and that was, <laughs> I wasn't about letting that go down, you know, especially holding a spotlight man. Oh God. You're lucky you managed to uh, have that spotlight and fly to the Oh, okay, I got you. I got you, my man. It saves a lot of people. If a booger cannot gradually adapt to something, if it's stowed onto him, especially a bright light or something like that spontaneously, that that irritates them a little bit, and they go on about their business. Well, That's why I've always be... told people to use motion sensor lights, you know, in their backyards and things like that. Yeah. No, that's one of the things that the Kiowa didn't have is uh, spotlights or anything like that. Nope. You know, and there's just no options for them. They couldn't None put up all. spotlights, and they didn't have game cams and electric nope. fences or minefields or. None of that, and and you know, in the story and in and of itself. I've I've thought about it and I've envisioned it a million times after I was told it, even before the uh, Lafleur story came out, and it it's a hell of a story. It's a hell of a story. 
Yeah, that's really damn scary. Did they, did they give any kind of a general or even better specific number of how many Bigfoot were actually involved? They said it was a tribe. Now, I don't know what constitutes a tribe. Uh, I would guess that's probably more than a family unit, though. Well, see, that's not. another thing about it. They used the tribe as a description of them being together on that hill. And mm-hmm. that, that just shows me that even today, these things still form tribes. And uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're, uh, they're more closely associated to the First Nation people. That's why I've always said uh, everybody, before they go into a location, needs to study the uh, local wildlife and things like that, the history, and especially the uh, local tribes that used to uh, live and maintain life in those areas because Mm -hmm. it, it does help tremendously to understand what's going on. Yeah, and you can bet your bottom dollar that whatever tribe is in that area knows a lot more about the Bigfoot in that area than people outside of it do. They do, especially the elders, because they still do, tribes do still pass down their traditions, but they don't do it freely. Uh, They're having a lot of problems with today's youth uh, not catering to the culture and the ways, and usually if they survive a hard upbringing, you know, by rebelling against their own uh, people, and they survive a life's test and come to the realization that, you know, it is smart to come back within the culture of the people. That's when a lot of people then are told the actual stories and the things that are still being passed down today. But the numbers of these type people who you can willingly pass this information down. It's getting smaller and smaller every year. And yeah, it's and a unfortunately shame that the, huh? the truism throughout time is that uh, in order to be old and wise, you first have to be young and foolish. Yes. When you're and young and you've foolish, got you're not going to gonna survive learn that. And, yeah. you know, sadly to say, within the First Nation people, especially, you know, anybody that gets hooked on drugs or alcohol, their survival rate is not uh, high numbers at all. Oh, I know it's horrifying. It is. And then the it other is. thing is the general, uh, you know, the general move away from their own culture, you know, and this sort of, well, you, you know, know that what the white man was, was trying to know, indoctrinate them toward for the last hundred years to abandon your culture and jump on the white man's culture, and all of a sudden, it's like yeah. now that we're not really even trying anymore, they are doing it. Well, you know, people talk about political correctness, and until anybody wants to talk to me about what this country has done to the First Nation people as a general, you know, uh, I don't don't want to hear nobody do any complaining. No, uh, horrible. Oh, yeah. You know where I'm coming from. We've discussed this before. Yeah, my heart goes out to all the native people on the continent for the shitty way they got treated by us. Well, you know, I asked a, I asked a friend of mine uh, who is native. Uh, I asked him uh, why. I mean, you're sitting on all this, which not really sitting on it. And let me phrase it the way I, I you have to do it very respectfully, and that and and your respect is returned with an honest reply, and that's what I love about the the ingenuous people out there. Uh, I asked, how come 
they don't freely share this with the white man. He said, well, we tried to when we first, you know, was settling down, but the white man would make fun of us whenever mm-hmm. we would bring some of this magnitude up. And so we just learned, well, heck, if you want to remain stupid, I ain't going to tell you nothing else. And <clears throat> then you go looking at the totem poles out in the Pacific Northwest, and every living animal on every animal on those poles is a very real animal that exists. And you're going to look at those same poles, and you're going to see a Bigfoot on those poles, and you're going to say, okay, let's just <clears throat> jack with people from future generations by saying there's something up here that walks like a man. Yeah. And, you know, you, you want to laugh at that one. But you're not going to laugh at the uh, killer whale or the uh, eagle or the bear or whatever else is represented on that totem pole. But you're going to say that's been put there just to pull the white man's leg one day? That's bullshit, man. That's bullshit. (laughs) No way. Now, the other thing is that's really obvious is just go look at all the different languages of all the native tribes across North America, and guess what? They all have a name for Bigfoot. Yes. Why would they all make up the same boogeyman? Seriously, yes. come on. And that's why I have a problem at times when, you know, we call them boogers in the South. Yes. Yep. That's what I was learned, you know, not really taught, but that's what they would call these things because they didn't understand what they were. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm Choctaw from the Mississippi Choctaw. Choctaw called these on Chapey. S-H-A-M-P-E. It's kind of like a French word. It's a bastardized French word, uh, but uh, they call them the Champagne. Uh, but the Choctaw also have other names for it. And uh, then you've got those who call it Sasquatch, you know, of the Celeste Indians. And uh, you, you, I get to talking about boogers, and people get pissed off at me. Oh, that ain't a booger. That's a Bigfoot. Well, it's really not a Bigfoot either. If we're going to get technical about it, let's make it a Sasquatch. But then if you're going to call it a Sasquatch, how come I can't call it what the Choctaw call it way down here in Mississippi, you know? So actually, it's all of these names. Yeah. Are you with me? I mean, call it, yeah. I just generically call them Bigfoot or Biggies. Well, yeah, why not? If it's you a know, Sasquatch, a Booger, a Yeti, a Yowie, whatever, yeah, it's a Bigfoot. As long as Biggie. we're still in the neighborhood of the same general creature, I ain't got a problem with what you call it. Yeah. And, that, and just like anything else, there's going to be differences. There's going to be variations in the local populations. The ones down in Florida aren't going to be exactly the same as the ones up in Alaska. But we're still basically talking about the same critter. Yeah, the ecosystem is going to give each each one's various differences, various changes. You know, yeah. I can see one in Florida looking like a mop, and I'll tell you why. Uh, the long hair would help it with the blood sucking varmints, and actually would make it cooler in the summertime because if it gets wet. Uh, they would be able to retain more cool air underneath the hair. Whereas, say, up north, I don't see them being that hairy compared to it down here because of the environment. You know, I I just don't see it. But we're all talking uh, basically about the same creature. 
Yeah. Well, when you get far enough north, like up into Canada and stuff, they all start having long hair then because it's winter oh, yeah. all the time. I can so see, they need it. see you got those <laughs> flies up there, and I heard them suckers are like these mosquitoes down south. They're demons, those deer oh, flies. Yeah, if you get up on the the tundra and stuff, they've got the mosquitoes and the deer flies up there, and they got a special yeah. kind of mosquitoes. And what did you say the about the farther north you get, they're more hairier? See, yep. there, there, there's Mother Nature taking care of a booger, you know, due yep. to the environment or the local ecosystem. Well, and the other thing is, too, size, just like every other kind of animal, the further north they get, for some bizarre reason, they tend to be bigger. Oh, yeah, so that's no doubt, too. You brother. get up in Alaska, and the friggin' things are like little mountains walking around. I'm with you. <laughs> Look at the Kodiak bear compared to the location. Exactly. Yeah, you you go down the southern U.S. and the bigger bears that you got down there, you know, max four or five hundred pounds, and even you get up this far north, we're not even to the border yet, and we got thousand pounders walking around. You get up there in yep. Alaska, and they're you know about fifteen hundred pounds, almost a ton. Oh, My yeah. God, huge difference. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, I've really so. enjoyed being on your show tonight, brother, and I've had a good time doing it. What do you think? <laughs> Well, I just hope that we manage to clear up this whole thing and that everybody can uh, look at the incident with a little bit different view now. In two years, you've got this now to throw at them as an answer. But you're going to (laughs) say, here, listen to this third show right here, and maybe that'll drop all these little misgivings you have about the LaFleur massacre. You don't have to worry about poor Captain LaFleur getting his head tore off. Cause no, no, no. He ain't running around headless. He, he's doing all right. No. Yep, There's no headless yep. ghost out there haunting the plains <laughs> in, the, in the booger land. <laughs> Enjoy it as always, Duke. I appreciate you having me on the show, brother. All right, Bear. Have a great night. And uh, everybody else, thanks for listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to be kind to everybody else. Safety first, last, and always. And remember, whatever you do, do not hug the booger. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Bye. Night, guys. Okay. Well, that should work out pretty much. Shit, that ain't even an hour long. They'll put this one together fast. You know, I actually got most of the artwork and everything for this all ready together because we've been planning on doing this for so long. I've been scooping up pictures of Kyle raiding parties and purity huts and all kinds of crap to put on this thing, so I'm pretty much ready to put it together.